So joining us on the How Did You podcast today is Kim. She's got fingers in a lot of pies and she's been very experienced with what she's done. Started out as a researcher and then moved away up into back to researcher. But now she works at the BBC and has taken on lots of different roles. She's also a podcast host herself. How are you doing today, Kim? Oh, great. Thank you. How are you? I'm not doing too bad at all, but like I mentioned in the introduction, which I'll most likely record because I messed it up that much. You've, <laughs> you've had a lot of different roles and you've had a lot of experience, whether it be BBC, ITV, GMTV, The Guardian, anywhere else. What is your kind of favourite experience that you've had? Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, that's quite a question. I'm going to have to think. I think what I'm doing now is probably... Not a favourite experience, but it feels like the culmination of everything else that I've done to get to this point. So that's quite satisfying in a, <laughs> in a way. I think having started, like I did a degree at Leeds in broadcast journalism and I graduated and I'm from North Devon. I was born in North Devon and I lived there up until like my mid to late 20s. And I moved back home and I was massively naive. I was like, great, here we go. Career starting. I didn't, you know, it was literally, I worked in a petrol station for nine months and then really randomly went for an interview. They were starting a kids channel in Cornwall. I didn't get the job, but they were doing like speed dating style interviews. It was very random. And one of the guys that was part of the speed date was called Mark Hawkins. And he was one of the COOs, I think, at the time at 2-4 Broadcast, which was a big production company in Plymouth. And I was living in Barnstable and Barnstable and Plymouth are like two hours apart. So I would drive two hours there and two hours back every day just because I wanted to get that foot on the ladder. And I mean, that's kind of a favourite experience as well, because I would never do it now. But at that time, I was just young, had no responsibilities. And obviously, for some of that, I was on production shoots. Like we were working on a programme called The Hotel Inspector and we were away for about nine months filming that not consistently we obviously come back at weekends and what have you but um yeah as a rite of passage that was quite a fun experience working there because I was just learning everything and um they gave me a one day crash course tutorial in how to operate a sound kit and then they sent me off on this program for discovery I probably shouldn't be saying this but um I was I was a sound engineer on this program and I was like this is bonkers I have no clue what I'm doing and um yeah it was baptism of fire but it was fun as well and I think if you work with great people that makes a huge difference too like you say you started off at the very very bottom doing absolutely everything you possibly could to get into however many different studios like you say you took a two-hour drive each way just to make sure that you had that foot on the ladder how does it then feel to be nominated and win an RTS Towns Valley Award because from <laughs> taking a two-hour journey to then winning an award that must be a journey that when you were a child you never expected. Not in a million years and awards are funny because it feels like an out-of-body experience but a Royal Television Society award and it was for my body of work last year and obviously we're all working in a pandemic and the limitations around what we're doing but my team at the BBC were being restructured as part of the modernising news process. And it was essentially myself and my senior editor who managed this quite large team through this really tumultuous period of change. And we made some cracking content last year. We had stuff on Ron Jeremy, it was called The Fall of a Porn Icon. Basically, he's in prison in America at the moment and how all that came to be. We did things on anti-Semitism. I've done things on the Romanian sex trafficking trade. We've done stuff on 
kids in social care. We've done things on how beauty treatments aren't regulated and all of this. So really far reaching and our target demographic are what we call the underserved, but basically we're trying to reach those grassroots communities. You probably are a little bit disillusioned with what the BBC does and doesn't think it reflects them or speaks to them, but we're trying to really go to them with what we do. And we call it giving a voice to the voiceless, but essentially it's telling a story from the bottom up rather than the top down. You're giving them, you're trying to enable them to hold power to account. And yeah, the award was, yeah, it was a bit mind blowing, but really kind of gratifying in a sense, because it can be a thankless task. And I think most of us go about our day to day lives and, you know, expecting like a marching band or a ticker tape parade to say thank you. But yeah, that one meant an awful lot. I can completely understand that, because like you say, you work around, I guess, such token topics which aren't really spoken about too, too much. And you enable the spotlight to be put on them. But You've worked on multiple different channels. How does it feel to finally have BBC Three back on TV? <laughs> Great. I mean, I think um, we're still trying to convince the audience to come back to BBC Three. But um, yeah, it, I think also the interesting thing about taking it off when that happened in like 2016, 2017, the audience kind of went with it to a point mm. because the online viewing through iPlayer and obviously streaming, it, it kind of stayed and they were still getting millions, if not like tens of thousands of views on the content they were making. And it's really diverse. Obviously their target demographic is a bit younger, like 16 to 24s. And yeah, it was great to see it come back and hopefully it can only carry on this lovely kind of trajectory that it seems to be headed off on. and. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it's re it's really it's really great to have it back. Gone for such a long time, and so was the audience. But now it's working its way back in. It's back on the TV. You can find it easily. But mm. your content not only resonates on BBC Three, sorry, it also resonates on the BBC News channels, like you say, because you're not only an executive producer, you're a news editor. Has there ever been a news piece that it may be the ones that you've previously mentioned, like your sex slaves and your underrepresented mm. communities? Has there ever been one that shocked you to the core where it will stay with you forever? I think the one. This still really kind of resonates with me and may I think about every every now and then, which is probably why is it was called um, False Hope Alternative Cancer Cures. And there was a young guy called Sean Walsh who lived up in Liverpool and he'd had cancer once in his late teens and he treated it with chemotherapy and then it came back. And he was convinced into thinking alternative therapies and remedies were curing his cancer. And um, there was a clinic in Mexico that he was going to and having things like coffee enemas and fruit juice smoothies and what have you. And he was convinced that it was all working. But then there was also a thermographic imaging company. So basically taking images of his body with, with like heat patches. And he was using those as a way of treating his cancer. And he was convinced it was working. Obviously it wasn't. And by the time they realized it wasn't, he had um, a tumor the size of a grapefruit in his stomach and it was too late and he died. And um, we decided to go undercover at the thermographic imaging company because they were making really outlandish claims about how they were treating cancer and even like the wording around cancer treatments and what people should be focused on. And it was a real, 
a real sense of jeopardy because I actually got threatened by both the Mexican clinic and the uh, Liverpudlian clinic as to not putting it out ahead. Could we give them obviously a right of reply because we secretly filmed? And it was one of the, the most prestigious um, libel lawyers in the country. And yeah, I had a bit of a sleepless night the night before it went out. But when it did go out, they, we never heard from them again. And it saw the um, alternative therapies as part of the Cancer Act debated in Parliament. And it also won case study of the year at the Medical Journalists Association Awards. So, but also just more importantly for Sean's family, it felt like a lot of vindication because you can't be vindicated when you lose a child. But um, yeah, it felt like really testament to their work and their grief really around the whole story. And yeah, it was just one of those really powerful moving stories and just listening to his family talk about it. It was, it's a really hard watch, but one of those kind of imperative watches. So yeah, that one will stay with me for a while. You took the Cancer Act to Parliament and helped contribute towards that. And that really did have a massive impact. But you make a lot of different media and you are responsible for creating lots of different things. If I had to ask, what is your favourite kind of media to create? Would it be your written? Would it be your audio? Would it be your short or long documentary? Within my work, I love long form docs. I really love storytelling. I think that's just the backbone of everything that I do. And as you said before, I have my own podcast I do outside of work with the Women of the Future Network, where I speak to women within all different types of careers about their own career journeys and how they've got there to hopefully inspire others, really. Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy that. But but it's all about storytelling, like finding people, really making an audience feel, you know, if you're watching something, we've all been there when you're watching something, your eyes prick with tears or you get goosebumps or you feel it somewhere in your body. It's really like driving those emotions out of people. And that's all kind of down to access and casting and reaching these really really fantastic people that can be interesting for a myriad of reasons but you're telling you're really getting under the skin of what makes them tick and I think the art of engaging people and forming like a narrative and you know beginning middle and end in this in simple terms but I love that and I like finding new ways of doing that and trying out new formats and techniques and style and tone treatments and yeah, I don't think I'll ever get bored of that. And I think that kind of can encompass outside of like long form too, whether that's articles or podcasts or anything really, it's how you get your point across. You're always looking for an equilibrium. You're always looking for an end. You're always looking for the uses and gratifications in it. So people relate mm. to it and stuff like that. But like mm. you say, your own podcast is completely different outside of work and you judged the women of the future awards how do you find so much time to do all of this stuff because I, when, <laughs> I, had look, the answer. I had a look through your linkedin and <laughs> literally it's like kim does this at the same time this like <laughs> looking at the dates you're a research for 24 group from 2007 to 2008 then straight into gmtv then into itv then you became a sponsorship and interactive manager then a marketing and communications director then festival sessions then 
<laughs> head of production <laughs> for a short course student and mm -hmm. um, senior interactive producer then lead assistant producer then radio volunteer and fundraising coordinator executive producer commissioning editor then you've been a children's author then <laughs> uh, women of the future and executive producer for bbc3 as well as news editor how do you have time to do all of it <laughs> <laughs> i think um I think it's also really important to say that I have in my career been made redundant three times and even the word redundant I say it really openly now and because whenever you say it to someone they're like oh sorry about that and it's like well no because it's got me to here like everything in my life has got me to here and it took me a really long time to make to realize that the role was redundant I wasn't redundant as a person as much as it had an impact on my personal life clearly and there were moments when it was quite dark and I was trying to find a reason to get up off the sofa and what have you but um yeah I think for example um I was working at the Telegraph and I'd won the Women of the Future Award in the media catalyst in 2018 and I had it on my desk and my manager at the time at the Telegraph came over and said we need to talk to you about redundancies and I literally found out I was being made redundant with, with an award in my hand almost and it's just like the nonsensical element of it it was all just about overheads and KPIs and numbers and it wasn't necessarily about me and clearly there's a bit more a bit more to it than that but yeah those processes as much as they were challenging it forces you to take stock and I don't think we do that enough in our career. A lot of people that I know just literally roll and roll and roll and roll and roll and keep going. And they get to the point where like, why am I unhappy? And it's probably because you haven't assessed it until the point that you're unhappy. And it's like, well, you know, do you still have the same motivations? Do you still want to do this? Like the first time I was made redundant, I was at Fremantle and I'd been selected to be a ones to watch at Edinburgh International Television Festival and I thought I'll go to this and see if I still like like this career if this is like what I want to do longer term because I was in my early 20s I went there and I loved it it was literally like a no-brainer I couldn't get enough of it I went back like two years after as well I loved the whole thing so it made me realize that I was doing the right thing and then I got headhunted to work at Channel 4 so I just thought again it's not it's not it's the role it's not me but it took a long time to process that and in my redundancy from the Telegraph, because I just started a relationship with women of the future, I said, well, I've got all these podcasting skills because I've been working with Bryony Gordon as her exec on Mad World. And if I can do it, I, like, I know how to do this. I know how to set it up. I know how to cut audio. I can produce this. And then um, I suggested it to them. And that's why it launched. So it was like similarly to yourself, you know, like if you've got an opportunity, if you've got a passion, if you want to hone your skills, if you want to keep doing it, if you want to be a, become a better interviewer, you know, if you want to just keep all of these strings to your bow and figure out the bits that you like and the bits that you don't like, the best way to do it is to just try and be pragmatic. Even when you, the chips are down, you're probably feeling a bit rubbish. There, you need to find those little nuggets that keep you going and I suppose now now I probably do too much but um it's because I've realized I've, I've got a, I'm crowdfunding a book at the moment called you are so much more than your job and I think that kind of sums it up because we all are like we work we spend the most of our lives at work like nine to five eight or so whatever you do and obviously all the other hours that you do as well but it's the things that you do in your spare time, like your side hustle, are probably the things that give you a lot more joy. And it's only when you start earning money for the things that bring you joy, then the relationship gets a bit weird. But 
that's probably why I do it. And because also I want to pay it forward. Like I grew up in a single parent family in North Devon. I mean, I got an amazing stepdad when I was quite young, but we had nothing. Like I remember when we moved, we had to sleep on the floor because we had no proper furniture and I was bitten by fleas and I had to take a hardship loan to finish uni and things like that. So I know what it means to not have much. And I want to see more people like me who have an understanding of that in media and I want to see them doing well. So whatever I can do to help support that and pay it forward, I will always do, which is probably why I've like hugely overcommitted to things in my life, but it brings me a lot of joy. You mentioned supporting things and taking them forward, but in 2019, you published your own mental health children's book. You've also launched uh, Kindfest. Is that the kind of reason behind it all? Because like you say, you are yourself outside of work, but you're also yourself inside of work because you are more than your job. It's correct because people have work relationships, but when you really realize who that person is outside of work, then you see that real person. What was the understanding behind the children's book and kind fest? Because it's been such a voluntary role that you've taken on and allowed it to be such a big kind of virtual international kind fest glow up because it's something that's needed. But how did it all begin and what made you do it? Was it the same things that you've just mentioned? Yeah, I think so. Um, I knew the founder before she was a founder, obviously. Uh, we were both short on a list of uh, kind leaders, which was a, a global list, I think, that was it's published every year in the Financial Times, and we were both on it. And I then followed her on Twitter, and she start, she'd mentioned Kindfest because she was sat in a hospital waiting room, and she was really fed up. It was the beginning of the pandemic, like you know March 20 March April 2020 and she's like we need to do something to change this and she tweeted out something that to that effect and not many people responded and I liked it and then she just obviously found out more about me reached out to me and was like do you reckon we can do this and I was like yeah of course we can and um that first year I ended up running the kind of youth tent and we had, it was basically all panel discussions. So we had entrepreneurs, we had people in education, we had MPs, we had Olympians. So uh, polit yeah, politicians, I had Luciana Berger, Emily Benn, I had Marilyn Okoro, who's an Olympian. Um, we had Stuart Lawrence, who's Stephen Lawrence's brother Bryony Gordon was on it um, Matt Johnson was on it talking about mental health all in relation how we should be kinder to younger people and also because obviously I have a video background we um, were fortunate enough to get Captain Sir Tom Moore to open it so we I went down and met him clearly before he unfortunately passed but um, he opened it so we got him cutting a ribbon and you know opening the whole thing and yeah, and it was it was it was a lot of work, and I do do it for free. I don't get any payment at all from it. It's all for charity. It's all for mental health charities. Or we like this year we've chosen probably we'll probably go with Choose Love this year because of everything that's happening in Ukraine. But yeah, so we did it last year as well, and um, I was more of a content director. So, but I also had the, the pleasure of speaking to Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of York, because she's very intrinsically linked with kindness. And she works a lot with Montessori who do education pieces. Obviously it's a big kind of scholastic organization. Yeah, so it's been, 
it's a whirlwind and it's a lot of hard work and it takes it's quite a, it's a very small team of people that puts it together but it's every year on or around world kindness day so uh, middle middle of november and you can get a ticket for a fiver and you can just watch it back at any time and there's some fantastic content there's like performance art um actors uh, yeah celebrities broadcasters we had a climate focus last year so we had people from the eden project and yeah it was just it's just fantastic to see everyone united in that kind of commonality of kindness and i think also it's something that's hugely underrated in leadership and it's very much or in my opinion it's still seen as a weakness to a point but i think so much can be achieved if we all just embrace it a little bit more so yeah, Kindfest is great. And there's a, there's a website. So please go to the website, kindfest.org to have a look if you're interested. And you can buy a t-shirt and things like that. So it all goes to charity. So any profits we make go to charity. Absolutely. You've done so many different things. And I, I know I keep alluding to that, but it's so many different roles, so many different companies. And it's not surprising with the amount of hard work and everything you put in. But if I had to ask you to think to the future, where would you see yourself in a year? Do you think it'll be somewhere completely different? What role do you think you'll be taking on? What situation do you think you'll find yourself or what role or situation do you think you'd find the world in? Oh, blimey. That's quite a question. I think in a year, I still want to be telling really powerful stories, um, whether that's for the BBC or a charity or some kind of bigger organisation and something that really speaks to me. I think that's it. It's finding your own personal motivation and what drives you. And I always said, like, when I had my daughter, who the, the child children's book that I wrote is for mental health for preschool children and I wrote it because I went back to work relatively soon after she was born and it's for her but um I always said that any work that I did that took me away from her has to be worthwhile so it's finding what that personal meaning is for yourself so yeah I'd hope that I carry on the same kind of journey and I really enjoy just giving people a platform and nothing is genuinely genuinely nothing gives me greater joy than seeing people fulfill their potential and some people don't want to some people are perfectly happy just doing what they're doing and that's fantastic um but i really see yeah the, the creative spark in people i love identifying that and just enabling them to to just take the world and see what they can do and i think that's also key to what's happening in the world like you know we can we should all be the change I mean I've sat there a million times and it's like oh someone should do something about that and it's like well that someone is you that someone is me like that someone is all of us we can all chip away and make a difference even if it's like the tiniest tiniest ripple you need a ripple to make a wave so start somewhere I think that's sounds massively like preachy but I really genuinely believe it and I've seen it happen you know it just takes a little step in the right direction and completely understand that because if you can help somebody on their journey along their path it can help inspire them to do a lot more different things that they never thought they were possibly even capable of but well, let's go a little bit informal what's your favorite piece of technology oh crikey god and you know what? i'm a bit of a dinosaur so anything i have to say is going to make me sound like the oldest person ever um <laughs> You know, I'd have to pick like a streaming service because I just um, 
I think like SVODs, you know, service video on demand services. So whether that's like, I, I have too many, like Amazon, Disney Plus, Netflix, all of them, I think slowly but surely they probably will take over the world. And it's already challenging the BBC itself to give value for money. So, and just the choice is baffling, isn't it? Like literally when I was growing up, we literally had three, four, five channels to choose from and that was it. And now it's like, God knows how many there are. But um, yeah, so probably like service video on demand streaming channels. Are you watching anything in particular at the moment? I blimmin' love the split. It's like, um, it's quite, I don't know. I just love the way it's done completely. Also, Peaky Blinders has just finished. I just, I remember I went to Hay Festival like years ago and Stephen Knight was talking about it. And I was like, what is this? This looks great. And they showed a trailer. I like, crikey, like literally I'd never seen anything like it. Just the, you know, the, the music and the, the visuals, even mm -hmm. though like the last few series have been a bit pants, let's be fair. But just the way it's done, like the treatment is out of this world you can't not watch it and think wow like that's impressive just from just from the treatment and the shots and you know the technology that they clearly use to bring it all together and the costumes and yeah I think Peaky Blinders is brilliant but yeah the split as well is just one of those indulgent box setty type things but yeah I think that's like you say, it's one of those things that people don't realise, like the cinematography, the sound engineers, the editors, everything that's actually going into it, it shows in credits. But if you actually were to go and watch a production of it, you'd be mind blown. But yeah. if you had to think of a bit of advice that you've received from someone or a bit of advice that you live by, because obviously you, you promote uh, such positive mental health, kindness and everything mm -hmm. around the world that actually needs to be promoted and pushed to the forefront. What kind of bit of advice have you received or do you live by that you would like to share to end the podcast? You're not going to please all the people all the time. And I think that's really important. If you look to some of the people that you admire, whether it's within your family or within popular culture or mine are probably people like Cherie Blair and Hillary Clinton and Madeleine Albright, you know, because they've literally all been trailblazers in some way, shape or form. And I've, I don't agree with everything that they've said, but just to stand up there and have a voice and have an opinion and make a change like Michelle Obama like all of these people like there was, and again I have some fantastic role models within my own life my, my mum I couldn't have done anything without her quite emotional <laughs> I always get emotional about my family um yeah but you just you're gonna have to rough ruffle a few feathers to um do something important I think that's a good thing to bear in mind on that note, I'm going to end the podcast there. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you for telling your story because it's been such an insightful and enjoyable one to hear. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you so much for asking me because I really enjoyed it and it's very self-indulgent. So that, and I love it. So thank you. <laughs>